Hello and welcome to this episode of the Jane's podcast. I'm Terry Patter. I lead the Jane's Intelligence Unit. And joining me on the podcast is someone who I've been really looking forward to talking to for a while, Catherine Ha Escalano, a consultant on analytic tradecraft standards and intelligence analysis, particularly as they relate to open source intelligence, which we're going to come on to talk about. And Catherine previously worked for the CIA in multiple disciplines across collection and analysis, including as an analyst in the Foreign Affairs Directorate. Catherine currently advises public and private sector clients on how to apply analytic tradecraft to open source intelligence. And that's really where I wanted to get into talking actually on this episode, Catherine. So welcome and and thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast today. As you said, it's probably been a couple of years that we've been talking Mm -hmm. and sharing ideas around OSINT and analytic tradecraft. And uh, it really is an honor to, to be with you in your Jane's podcast audience. No, so I'm, I'm really pleased to have you. It's an honor for us to have you on, uh, on the podcast. Um, you know, as I mentioned, I want to talk about analytic tradecraft and open source intelligence. And one of the things that, you know, my audience will have heard me say a lot over the previous episodes is that when we talk about open source intelligence, it becomes a very sort of collection focused discussion. And there's a real obsession, I think, within the field uh, among open source intelligence practitioners to focus on how to collect information, especially because there's so much information out there. Um, the sources are so varied these days, and it feels like we can do so much more than we used to be able to do. And what I wanted to sort of talk about was how do we actually focus on the analysis part of the equation when we want to produce good open source intelligence? Because I think that's really important, and I think it's something that's overlooked. And I'd love to get your thoughts on that, you know, in terms of maybe starting us off by describing what we mean by um, analytic standards, analytic tradecraft standards, Um but also what your experience has been when you've gone out and done sort of consulting or training for organizations, whether it's public sector or private sector in open source intelligence. I think the first part of, of the comments I'd like to address is you're absolutely right that the, the, the focus almost exclusively has been on, on collection, not just from the intelligence community from which I hail, um, having worked with many of, of the US intelligence community's partners. Uh, so there are a common set of standards, if you will, uh, for the multiple ints, you know, humans, SIGINTs, et cetera. OSINT has always been separate uh, from, from these ints. It's, it's been parked as its own discipline, and there are reasons for that. But that doesn't mean that what happens in the OSINT domain is separate uh, from the structure and the analytic rigor that happens in the other int domains. And from where I hail, having worked both on the human side as well as OSINT, um, I've, I have, you know, as, as an analyst when I was in government, as well as uh, supporting or being as a consultant to establishing analytic tradecraft cells as well as um, OSINT cells um, in the past, and now trying to fuse these two, if you will, disciplines into one, that, that they are not diametrically opposed. They really should be one operational if you will, analytic architecture for how OSIN is done. And it moves beyond just collection. And what, what I love about OSIN is that it is just as significant a, a discipline um, as for, let's take uh, humans, uh, only because when we, you know, when we think about, as you say, so much varied information coming from so many different types of sources, including subsources. Well, think about the challenges. I having read so many of Jane's. JIU's uh, 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 analytic products, the OSINT products, uh, subsources coming from social media. Talk about varied and, and, and how do you consider who a subsource is? And 
So this is where it becomes really important to understand what it means to assess what that's, who that source is, what they're reporting, and the timeliness with which you do it. It goes beyond just collecting these voices, these, this myriad universe of voices. It's making sense of all of these dots. And that is what I really enjoy doing by bringing, and we'll talk in a moment about what is analytic tradecraft, about bringing the analytic rigor that was incubated in the IC, um, at least for in the United States, born out of the 9-11 terrorist attacks when the US government established the Office of Directorate for National Intelligence. And within the ODNI, a very specific office called Analytic Integrity Standards uh, to, to develop and guide analysts and how to apply these structured analytic quality standards and techniques to their analysis. And we, we've moved to a place where now in, 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 in the open source, we seriously need for our government, um, and, and especially when we think about how we collaborate in our intelligence products, be it on the classified side, but more importantly in, in for the OSINT products, the final analytic products, where they should all have a common set of standards. And by that, we mean that they're credible, they have analytic rigor. And uh, that's very, very important for when your customer, right, reads one of your, one of your OSINT products that they know that the whole life cycle, that whole collection, that from planning, collection analysis and the production has followed uh, some structured analytic, it has analytic rigor involved. So that's the first comment I wanted to make. Yeah. I think that's a really important point you made there in terms of why this is important for open source intelligence. And I think it's because, and you mentioned working with, with different partners in the US and the UK obviously work very closely. We follow a similar set of standards and um, there's a similar role within the uh, government here that you described in ODNI in terms of the professional head of intelligence analysis that we have here. But for open source intelligence, one of the key benefits of it is the collaborative element in terms of being able to share OSINT products widely. And it makes so much sense for there to be that common set of um, analytic standards to ensure that they are as easily usable by different organizations across uh, those international alliances. That um, I think that's still something that perhaps people haven't really thought about much when they are doing open source intelligence, that actually that really is a huge benefit, but only if that rigor is there. You're absolutely right. And, you know, you've had on your, on your, on your podcast, Carmen Medina, who is <laughs> the, the queen of analytic tradecraft and, and, and thinking about the future and the evolution of intelligence. And uh, something that she discusses and it's very important is that the, the IC, at least in this country, but more than likely this involves uh, many, of our, many of our partners, is we need to move beyond the very secretive world in which we've always done analysis. And there is still a need for, for the classified side. Uh, you, you're not gonna move away from having sources that can only report through, through classified channels. But the beauty of open source is that open source can provide, has the ability to provide additional credibility and reliability to classified products. Uh, because if you can confirm what it is that sources and sub sources are reporting, and you, I mean, we have that available through vetted open sources, that becomes a much more credible um, and authoritative 
uh, classified product point one, right? Mm -hmm. But you're absolutely right in terms of just an OSINT product and what it is that it enables your clients to do uh, with a product that does have these analytic uh, standards that are applied to it. And, we'll, and again, we will come to what that means, but I, I have found in working with, with, some, with some of the, with international private sector clients and helping them understand and then to train them and how do we use the standards for their, for their OSINT life cycle is that it, it completely, it, it's like the Concorde <laughs> where it takes off and you're in Mac 2 <laughs> of, of your OSINT products. So all of a sudden you have, you have a product that is, you're dealing with alternatives that perhaps the, the customer may ne would never have considered. It's no longer just a descriptive piece of analysis. It becomes evaluative, it can become estimative and you can even forecast. But again, there's a structure for all this. And the analytic tradecraft, what we mean by that is that it really is just, it, it, it's the art of thinking critically about an issue and how you're communicating your findings. So in this case, uh, what your key judgments are using the lingo from, from our, our, our world, if you will. And any good OSINT piece, and that's what I like about reading the, the Jane's uh, products is that you definitely follow the rigor of having a main message. What is that key judgment? The main takeaway that your client needs to know. Again, if you have a four to five page OSINT report, that's fine. But if your client has to read something quickly and understand what the main message for action or decision-making is, then that's, that very typically will be represented up in your first, in your first section and a header, key takeaways, however you wanna describe that. So that's what analytic tradecraft does. It's, it, it's, it's relying on these standards of which there are nine, born again out of, out of the um, analytic integrity standards office to ensure that the intelligence analysis life cycle is objective and is credible. And we'll come back to objective um, because one of the things that we don't think about in the OSINT world is politicization, which we hear a lot about, of course, in the classified side, on the classified side. But politicization occurs uh, in the open source world, and we can talk about that. But in short, the tradecraft is ensures credibility, and there are these nine standards, uh, which are these techniques and methods to ensure that we, across the board, analysts are are following a structure and have these steps in critical thinking, as to ensure that there isn't politicization, to help protect against cognitive and perceptual biases that are there from the beginning. Think about collection, right, Terry? Yeah. How many biases go into that? The, the, just the collection, oh, like. Yeah, in collection, I mean, it's phenomenal. Well, the first thing I always say to to analysts, especially when we're delivering training and, and helping sort of build, you know, new analyst units, is that we're ultimately all creatures of of habit. You know, we're all human. We're all creatures of habit. We have our own sort of uh, foibles, I guess, or you know, th things that. We, we, we may have our own preferences, our own sort of ideas, ways of seeing things, perceiving things. Um, and it could be something as simple as just regularly going to the same news sites to get your news every morning, you know, which could shape your perception of the world. And, you know, if, you, if, you, if people aren't mixing it up or trying to seek out other sources, then something as easy as that can affect sometimes how they collect information. Exactly. And I just want to pull that thread before we get back to the standards is one of the things that I've encountered working with multilingual analysts. Um, in, in, in these OSINT analytic cells is that uh, we, we all have cultural biases. 
first of all, if we are if we are multilingual ourselves, we may have a bias uh, in that in that language uh, that we are that we are collecting on for whatever reason we've lived in that country, and so we may have again predilection to using certain sources because we've deemed them to be credible for you know X Y Z reasons, but we could also have a bias. Um, uh, a negative bias against using certain sources without even understanding why we have that bias. So what I love about the about the standards is that they they help us consider alternatives to collection. They help us with um, with uncertainty when we're dealing with information gaps. Also with the uncertainty is I've collected all this information. What does it really mean? And if you do a link analysis of all the data sets uh, or the data points, I should say, uh, especially if you have your Twitter world and your social media, mm -hmm. any dark web actors, you know, to really evaluate the significance of what all these voices are saying and what you need to discard, what you need to judge as perhaps being deception. And again, what is valid? Um, that, that, that becomes, the, the standards can help an analyst, if you will, structure the thinking, the critical thinking process and that's really the, in my view, the most critical value of applying these standards uh, to the to the to the OSINT world. Because it's so it's so interesting you say that because I th and I think there's for me there's always a couple of elements to that. One is that it's really important for analysts to be able to structure their own thinking and, like you say, apply some uh, apply critical thinking in a in a way that is directly related to the work they're doing. Um, but also once you're applying it, once you're using those standards, it makes it easier for someone else to come and review your work, which I think is another really important aspect of producing rigorous, uh, really well-formed analytic judgments is that you ask someone else to you know, look at those and, and give you some thoughts and feedback. And like you said, help you that, that, you know, that can help you get around those, some of those biases you might have um yourself as an individual and that we all have and you know the, the fact that we as individuals can't always see everything we can't necessarily think of everything and we um we do need help you know especially on trying to understand and, and figure out what's going on in complex situations so um yeah i think that you know i'm really glad you what the way you described it is re really chimes with how i've certainly described it and shown other people and talk, taught other people about how to use uh, those types of standards and employ them in their work. Um, and, you know, maybe you can give us sort of some idea as well of, you know, maybe a bit more tangibly, what are we talking about when we talk about these, these uh, analytic tradecraft standards and um, which are the ones that you think apply maybe most uh, to open source intelligence? Yes. You said something that I think is so crucial though, and I, mm -hmm. I, I feel compelled to, to address it. Please before. do, please do some of the standards you're talking about the review of these products when when the analyst uh through the whole you know through that through the lifestyle of which we've spoken um is, is it's just as important for the standards to help guide and direct uh the analyst the <clears throat> again the that's what talking about the ocean analyst in this case <clears throat> from from start to finish but as as critical a role and indispensable is the editor um, your first line editor, your second line, you as the, as, as, as the director of the unit, whatever, it's, if you're doing the final review, the QC of that product before you push it out to your, you know, to your, to your clients, you need to have the, the assurance and the confidence that your analysts have that what you're reading 
is of the highest quality and integrity. And, and, and these standards will help ensure that. Uh, because one of the things that I've found going back to the bias discussion, and this happens with editors as well, is that you know, Mr. Richard Hoyer, who is really laid the, mo the, the groundwork for all of this. Mm. And for anyone who has, who's not familiar with him, he wrote the uh, psychology of intelligence analysis. I thank you for mentioning that. Absolutely. Um, he, one of, one of, I just want to quote from him when he said, when the mm. hard evidence runs out, the tendency to project the analyst's own mindset takes over. That happens from start to finish. In the, it, it can happen from start to finish in the life cycle. And it can happen in that, in the same in the editing role. So the tighter your final analytic product is that you give to your editor, the better, the, the, the more successful, if you will, in terms of that highest quality and integrity resulting is going to be. Uh, so I wanted to, I wanted to mention that. That's a, it's such a great quote as well, because it really, yes. I think, hints at what is a key challenge within intelligence, which I think not many people outside the field really appreciate, which is that you're often not looking at evidence. You're often actually looking at the gaps between pieces of evidence and trying to work out what goes in that gap. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and it, and it, it, a vacuum, right? Yeah. <laughs> with, with whatever we, you know, without realizing what, we, with what we're filling them, which is usually assumptions and, and cherry picking of information, which takes us to my favorite standard, if you will. Mm. So again, Excellent. we're talking about the, um, uh, the, um, the ODNI's ICD-203 for our audience, analytic tradecraft standards. There are nine, I'm not going to cover all nine, uh, but the, um, we're, we're talking about sourcing, um, expressing uncertainties, dis distinguishing between evidence, um, analysis and assumptions. Uh, we have uh, a fourth standard, which is called analysis of alternatives. We move on to customer relevance. Our sixth standard is logical argumentation, which of course I will be discussing briefly. Mm -hmm. um, consistency of analysis, accuracy of judgments, and finally visuals, which uh, is very doable in the open source world. Yeah, and I think, so uh, what I think is really interesting, and for anyone who hasn't seen these standards, you know, you, you can search for them and find them online. So ICD-203, if, if people look that up, they'll be able to find the details. But it really, I think, encapsulates the process. And I think it describes and lays out the key and fundamental things that people need to think about when they're analyzing information and producing intelligence, which um, is, again, as I mentioned at the start, is something that I think people don't think about enough. And, you know, it's there's an obsession with gathering lots of information and then just trying to shovel all of that into a report. Whereas I think the key points that you mentioned there that are encapsulated in ICD-203 really help lay out actually what helps an analyst produce something that is useful to an end customer. Correct. Absolutely. And I, my favorite is, uh, is, is sourcing, uh, which is uh, the importance of sourcing standard one is that it, it, it forces the analyst, and I say force in, in a good way here, <laughs> to, 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 dis, to evaluate and describe the quality and the credibility of the underlying data of the underlying data that he or she is using right to undergird their key judgments, and and in OSINT we do have we do use key judgments. We have a main message. We have the what, the main takeaway, and then we have the so what, right? The implications. 
Now, sourcing one, sorry to get a little techie here, but sourcing one in ICD-203 also has its own intelligence community directive, which is ICD-206 for, for those of you that like to follow these. Um, <laughs> this is great. But, but yeah, again, this is, this, is all, this is all incredibly useful stuff that's out there that people can use. And I just think, just I, I really want to grow the, the awareness. So this is great to be talking through these. And getting your thoughts on them. Yeah, so ICD-206, sorry, I'm interrupting you and dragging you away from what you're saying. <laughs> so, um, so it, it, yeah, so it has its own, it, that's what, yes, it has its own ICD, if you will. Uh, but in, in brief, um, I'm going to focus on two of the three characteristics of, of, of sourcing, which is the in-text, uh, what we call source descriptors, which mm-hmm. you do use, uh, of course, it's the according to, where you are describing the source, and then we also then we have uh, what is the I, I don't think I've, I don't think I've seen these in many uh, OSINT products writ large in, in 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 the U.S. or other other countries, and I, I certainly encourage this, which is something that I am training my my customers on now, uh, is the source summary statement, and so well, which is one of my favorite analytic challenges because it's its own little mini analytic universe. Um, but the importance of source descriptors, as you well know, is that what you're 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 letting the client, you're letting your your customer know, this judgment is based on this source, and I'm using this source uh, because I'm telling you that in our view, this was a credible or reliable source and reliable reporting, and that's very simple to do. Any OSINT product has should have these in-text characterizations. If not, then you're not being you're not transparent with with your customer, and your customer has every right to know um, what it is that that your that your analysis is defensible. And by telling them what the sourcing is enables you to be credible and to defend uh, your your analytic judgments. Um, and I think, and what's important there, I think as well is when it comes to open source intelligence in particular is that the, the the verification itself is a challenge and obviously that's where a lot of people spend their time in open source intelligence is verifying information and sourcing because as you know we, we mentioned it comes from such a wide variety of places um and you know within janes where we have to, you know we try not to use information we can't verify but for anyone who who does uh need to or whenever we do in a report we would make sure that that's clear as well you know that the, this is maybe come from a a, a blog or a, a social media account, let's for, say as an example, which um, we've not been able to verify or, you know, which, you know, we haven't seen coming from anywhere else, but maybe it's so important that you decide to include it. Um, so, yeah, I think that's really, really key thing to highlight in terms of the relationship between those analytic standards and open source intelligence. That's an excellent, excellent point. Uh, there's a whole subset to, to sourcing, right? What is the yeah. you know what the veracity of your sources and and each organization and and government agencies have their own if you will metrics for 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 if you will assessing evaluating veracity of sources and uh, I've helped some government agencies with develop, you know crafting methodologies for how to do that I think you, Jane's is 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 up in the stratosphere of having nailed that very well. <laughs> uh, but you raise a really good point, which is at times we we want to rely, not that we need to, but we want to rely on reporting, uh, which it may be unclear 
that the, 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 real, the credibility may be unclear and we may not be fully able to judge if it's deceptive or not, but it has, it, it, it helps to anchor the analysis, the judgment. The, so this is where the source summary, it's a great segue, Terry, into the source summary statement. In the source summary statement, that is where you talk about the weight, the value of the reporting that you have used in your analysis. Um, because this is where the analyst will briefly describe very succinctly the body of sourcing. I had, you know, I, I use, you know, it could be four different, you know, four different Twitter sources uh, from speaking from, you know, my world that coming from the, uh, the what's called the, the, the narco Twitters, for example, uh, that would hard to determine reliability. But there are metrics to get you close to that. But you're letting your reader know I'm using these because, writ large, it helps me tell my argument, and it seems to suggest a credible argument. So that's point one, and we move into the 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 critical another critical element of the source summary statement, which is, what is the confidence level that your that the elicit level has then, in that judgment based on the quality. So would it, the quality could the strengths or the weaknesses of your reporting. I'm curious to, to hear from you if, if this is, if you and your analysts have worked with confidence levels of your, of your, of your OSINT judgments. You know, this, uh, yeah, so this is really interesting because I think it's, it, it's really important as a, a way of communicating to the reader how much they should take away from your analysis because um, I think too often when people, especially, you know, I keep saying people who aren't involved in the field, but um, even for, for, for anyone who is involved in it, I, you know, there, for some people who are more experienced, they'll think, well, sourcing and, you know, describing sourcing, this is bread and butter, this is quite basic. But, you know, the one thing I would say is that great intelligence is really comes down to doing the basics really well. And um, often that's where people fall down. And um, sometimes it's especially people who are quite experienced and uh, sort of don't, don't necessarily pay as much attention to these things as they once did. But, um, you know, maybe we're all guilty of that at various points. But, yeah, I think the confidence statement is really important because it's one thing to say, OK, well, you know, we've got this information which uh, tells us X, Y or Z, but is from sources that we think are of um uh, unknown reliability or we can't necessarily verify what they're saying at that point i think then the analyst's confidence statement really plays an important part in enabling the reader to understand what they should take away from it and then what they need to do perhaps to act upon that information or make a decision so yeah i think that's um it's a really important aspect of any osint report and um i think it's sometimes challenging to to sort of explain it to analysts who are new and also to uh, help them implement doing that routinely and I don't know if that's um, if, if that's something you've come across maybe sometimes as a challenge particularly particularly when you're taking some of these standards out from you know their intelligence community kind of origins to apply to open source intelligence in other contexts mm -hmm. is it hard to sort of get people to really understand what you mean when you're talking about that difference between um the sort of their assessment of the source versus their confidence, um, you know, and how to how to how to actually express it in a report. 
Yes, and 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 yes, and 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 very real world uh, with 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 a, with a recent client uh, creating, uh, if you want, all source analytic cells. So of which OSINT is is a part of that. Uh, part is is first of all to understand. What is where? How do we bring again the standards to to that collection process to understand how am I going to not only what's my collection methodology, but how am I going to assess these sources, which is a whole nother conversation. Because, hmm. uh, uh, but and how does that then? Uh, what is the relationship with that assessment of the confidence level? And that that is a real struggle struggle for for new younger analysts that, that, that we, at least in the US, are bringing in, if you will, straight out of grad school, uh, that have worked in private sector, aren't hailing out of the IC, for example, and finding a, a new career and bringing that analytic experience with them to, to the OSINT world, where there is this fundamental understanding of, in this case, of, of ICD-203, uh, but also of how to apply confidence levels. So what's really key there is, 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 a, um, is an analytic curriculum. And so that's key for me as part of when I develop these cells and 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 work with the, with the different different clients. Everyone needs a, a, a an analytic curriculum to understand how am I going to do step one, which is a research design, and how am I going to move out from asking myself what is that key intelligence question, which any OSIN analyst should be asking themselves as well. Well, who's my client, and what are they asking of me, and how am I going to respond to that? What do they need to know, et cetera, et cetera. And so not only the, the having this analytic curriculum, uh, which involves every member of, of the team. So it's, it's having a mentor, uh, as I call it, an analytic mentor. It's, you know, it's uh, having your brainstorming with your colleagues at every point of the way. It's like, I guess kind of, sorry yeah. to interrupt, but I guess learning yeah. from the experience of others around you. Is, is that but, what you sort of, yeah. Yes. I mean, that yeah, is, yeah, that's no, really important. For me, having, you know, having teams work, um, you know, again, this goes back to one of the points we were talking about earlier, having an OSINT team uh, being divorced, if you will, from, from the rest of the INS. Uh, some people would argue it works well. Other people would argue that it doesn't, it, that, that it, it doesn't work well. It depends on the mission. But, for, but looking at an OSINT mission, the, the analyst, um, in this case, I'm going to go back to, usually it's going to be multilingual analysts uh, for, for the whole life cycle. Um, I always encourage team, teamwork and, and, and brainstorming together to, again, to make sure that, that if somebody has a question, I'm not sure I really understand how to, how to think about a confidence level um, as I apply it to my, to my judgment. And so you don't always have to go to the experts. Uh, you know, ex expertise is 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 overrated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and, and you can you you can have you can have specialists at, at at the at the analyst level where people bring to bear their own critical thinking experiences, um, and but they're all bound together by this again by this structure. So the rigor is established and and directed and guided by the if you will the 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 team manager, but you need training and you need, you need active mentorship. Um, so I think that's a really important point that you raise about how it is a challenge to explain, but also to train, yeah. but no different mm. from any of the other disciplines within OSINT. 
as to go out and how to use the dark web, for example, and 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 do all of the collection aspects. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and how to protect yourself, all of those things. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, but so, uh, I think a final point on confidence that it doesn't apply to all of OSINT, to all of finished OSINT products, because you have different, as, as you and I have spoken about before. Uh, and other conversations, you have different types of products, right? You have that spectrum of analytic products. So a descriptive product is not necessarily going to need or require a confidence level. Uh, and you can have confidence levels in the main body of the text. Mm -hmm. If it's that important of, of an estimate or, of, a, if, or of, of evaluative analysis that you want your, your client to know, I'm telling you this, but my confidence in this as a Jane's OSINT expert, is I have high confidence in what I'm telling you because of, and then we yes. move Yeah. So yeah. knowing when and how to apply these characteristics of, of, of the standards, that becomes important for how you begin to use them. Is, is there a challenge there also in, in what you found in terms of either training or from your own experience where Analysts often can be nervous about putting assessments out in general, not just sort of talking about confidence, but just generally, um, especially when it comes to more estimative or, or you know, future-oriented analysis, to, you know, when the question is what's going to happen next. Yes. Um, and there's that sort of nervousness about saying what might happen next. Um, and the same might, might apply to when it comes to making those confidence judgments that there's a tendency to hedge bets a little bit and for people to sit on the fence a little. And while I guess that does represent their uncertainty, it doesn't always help the audience in terms of determining what to do next with this intelligence that they're looking at. How best to address that, I suppose, is my question, the following from that. Terry, you very nicely led the conversation into standard two. <laughs> uncertainties for key judgments for key for, for, for major analytic judgments well I, I always love talking about uncertainty because i think I, I think uncertainty is at the heart of intelligence and it's you know it's what we're it's what we're dealing in i sometimes say to people that i think intelligence is not necessarily the art of bringing more certainty to areas where we have lots of uncertainty it's really about making our customers i think comfortable with a certain level of uncertainty nicely said that is absolutely correct. So the analyst shouldn't be nervous that they have to get it right. Right. Because usually, you know, in, in the classified int world or in the OSINT world, it's rare that we're going to get it right. If we get it right, based on my experience, there's there's a likelihood that it's based on somebody else's agenda. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so which which gets gets us, which is an interesting way of thinking about it. But I, mm -hmm. I think perhaps I bring a curious, critical way of thinking about when we get things right well why is that and and then again how did we get it right and and so that's a whole nother that's 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 another conversation but i really like what you said and it's making it's making analysts and and the customer making them comfortable with, with the fact that there is uncertainty in the analysis and again we're probably talking about um, not so much your descriptive product uh products but the ones that your your your, your full-fledged explanatory evaluative and, and as you say the forecasting when you start talking about indicators analysis and even opportunity analysis, right? Where certain things have to happen for you to take advantage uh, of taking certain steps. And this is where we get into, um, again, for your audience and, I, and, and, and the second standard, standard two, is that explaining uncertainties is really getting your comfort level around understanding that 
there's a likelihood of something happening and, and, we're, and, and, and a probability. And there's a, there's a rating scale that we use um, in the US and, and I am familiar with that, that, that your country and even the Canadians and, and, and large part NATO, um, that, that it's this standardization, if you will, of likelihood and probability by using a rating scale from the lowest likelihood, which has a percentage value assigned to it. So almost no chance of something happening, which is remote, zero to, to what is it, 0.1 to 0.5%, all the way through to the end of the scale, which is almost, almost certainly, which is you're nearly certain is going to happen. So you give yourself that wiggle room of, of a percentage at the higher end. And what that does is that really helps the analyst and, and, and not only how to, how to think about how they are going to qualify their analytic judgment, this is likely to happen. Again, we come back to the importance of your sources. What is the confidence in what you're saying in your, in your key message? Well, I have a large body of reporting that gives me a high confidence that X is, is, is if you're sort of forecasting that something is going to happen or anticipating something is going to happen, then the, the analyst should feel comfortable saying that. Because again, your organization um, is riding behind the credibility, if you will, of, of that judgment. So a lot goes into making sure that that yeah, likelihood. Yeah. Does yeah, that make sense? Right, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Gonna... Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, no, and, and I think, yeah, for, for anyone coming into intelligence, I think this is one of the key things that they have to learn is how to express that and um make it understandable to an audience. And and you know, I think it's been codified in a way in these standards that helps structure it so that you know everyone has that common understanding of okay when i see it written like this this is what it really means in terms of likelihood etc so yeah it, it definitely uh, is a useful aspect i think of the standards yes and if you are uncertain about how even to look at the rating scale and you're not you're the analyst is not comfortable with with the body of reporting for for for, for various reasons that there's just the, 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 it's so unbalanced, right, in terms of the reliability and the credibility and how to make sense of it. And this is not the, we probably don't have the time to get into structured analytic techniques, but there are some simple structured analytic techniques that you can apply to each of the standards to help analysts tease out their thinking about each of these standards. For example, with uncertainties, you know, what's going to force, and again, I'm using the, the word force, and analysts to think about what they know and what they don't know. And you can, you know, one, one, one thing to do is to go back and, and, and do a qualitative information check. Let's be really rigorous and think about what it is that the sourcing is telling us, what it's not telling us. And then if I'm, if I'm walking myself and it's best to do this with, as a, you know, with one other individual or as, as a team um, is you can't do it alone. The whole point, again, going back to teaming is that if you have, if you're going in with your with your own biases, do you really think that you're going to be able to to do a structured analytic technique against yourself? <laughs> well, <laughs> to, to, yeah, <laughs> and this is a really interesting area because you know, and we've talked about structured analytic techniques on the podcast before, and it's one that comes up has, has come up a lot, I think, in the last decade since or so since you know we started delivering training um, from Jane's, whether in open source intelligence or intelligence analysis more generally. And um, everyone's been keen to understand, okay, structured analytic techniques, how do we use them? How do we apply them? And I think 
it's it's challenging in the sense that I think people almost get a bit too focused on individual techniques and trying to employ and use those individual techniques. And what we've always been keen to emphasize is actually when you look at the principles that underlie them, it's it's the same across all the techniques and the things that you just identified there actually in terms of, okay, what, what information do I have? What is it telling me? What are my gaps? What assumptions are we having to make? Um, all of those kinds of things are common across all of those techniques. Yes. And I think as long as people think about it in those terms, um, you know, as much as individual techniques do help in certain, you know, in specific uh, instances, actually just having that, that thought process, I think, and especially that culture within a team to yeah. review and, and go back over what they're looking at before they send out a product and build in that time to do it. Um, that's really important. And um, I think that's sort of one of the key takeaways I tend to find whenever I'm teaching people about structured analytic techniques and that um, it's not necessarily about an individual technique. There's no, there's no silver bullet technique, I think. And, you know, there's a lot to be learned from all of them. But are there ones in particular that you found that have been particularly beneficial for specific uh, tasks or activities that people have been undertaking with open source intelligence? Yes, absolutely. And again, excellent point that, that there is no silver bullet and there is, a, there is a tendency to want to pull from the stockpile, if you will, of taking a, a cool sounding stat and thinking, <laughs> oh, I'm just going to apply it to this part of the life cycle. Yeah, and then hoping it will give you an answer. <laughs> Exactly, and if anything, it's going to frustrate the analysts, right? Um, and and it could it, it could it, it it can misdirect as well. Interesting. So, I mean, the, the simplest you know the, the simplest task for for analysts is to start with an analytic checklist, which which is based literally on this analytic architecture that we're that we're talking about, um, and and that is, I mean, each analyst can have his or her own checklist but but i encourage any osint cell if you will that that there should be a this common analytic checklist to make sure that all analysts are operating from the same fundamentals the same analytic principles and the critical thinking steps because otherwise you don't have consistency and you know the final the, the final job of the editor <laughs> where you have two to three products that that are 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 inconsistent and something important that we haven't talked about is analytic lines. I'm curious, hmm. you know, is how how often do you follow up with a client on an on a topic that they have asked you to report on on a monthly basis, on a quarterly basis? So, by, by what we mean by the analytic line is what have you reported on in the past, and has anything changed with what you reported on in the past? And if so. What does that mean for that analytic line? And so imagine if you have an analyst who is struggling with, oh, I need to apply a SAP to let's say standard two, uh, and it's, it, it, could, it could misdirect them and shoot them down a rabbit hole where they lose sight of the fact that it's as simple as my analytic line changed from a month ago. I have new reporting that is either updating or it's refuting. And that's it's it really comes as simple as that as, as simple as that. And I think that's so useful as well, especially when analysts are engaged in that task of, like you say, maybe every month writing descriptive reports on a particular location, country, or situation or theme. And yeah, they're, they're not always conscious of keeping in mind that line 
and keeping in mind the context, the previous context. And I think it's almost always too much of a snapshot of the current present moment. And, and like you say, then they get lost a little bit in, in trying to apply different techniques to understanding what it might mean and addressing the so what for the customer when sometimes it can just be as, as it's simple as looking backwards and figuring out, okay, well, what has changed? Absolutely. One that, one that I, I think is, is, and it's actually one of the standards. Mm. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll jump over standard three very quickly, just for a moment to go to standard four, which is analysis of alternatives. Mm. And, and that, in, I mean, that in and itself inherently introduces the analyst and, and from the whole, from the analytic life cycle to using different types of structured analytic techniques from uh, red teaming to devil's advocacy. Uh, one I really like is argument mapping, which an analyst, if you're doing a more complex analytic product that is be, you know, beyond descriptive, helps mm -hmm. the analyst conceptualize what their argument is, if they have any, what their assumptions are, Geez, is my judgment is my judgment solid? Has it changed from what I reported before, and why? And you know, the key what I like about analysis of alternatives standard four is that it it again it, it compels the analyst to ask themselves, hey, at least I'm going to ask myself, how can I get this wrong? And what if I'm wildly wrong? What are the implications of that? So. You don't have to go the standards and for the audience doesn't mean you go through one, two, three, four. That's just a numeric. Yeah. Uh, they've, exactly. they've got to be laid out in what in a they've got to be laid out in some order. <laughs> they but they're all important. In, they're exactly. all important. Yeah. It's exactly. not necessarily a prioritization. <laughs> There's a certain logic to sourcing starting, you know, as being yeah. the first step, right? Mm -hmm. but, Definitely. I would I would I would I would I would um ask that you and and your and your audience think about um I mean, what I, I, I've mentioned it before is I really like indicators and signpost ana um, um, analysis because it, it really forces you to think about what can what do I ident identify that could happen next based on what I've seen, and that how do I how do I position myself and potentially pivot myself if I have new reporting? What am I looking for? Mm -hmm. And already you're thinking without realizing that the analyst begins to think somewhat, if you will. Alternatively, in a chat, you know, they start to challenge their thinking um, a little bit. That there's more out there, and I'm not necessarily beholden to this one source or to this analytic line. And I mean, there are many, many other ones that, of course, that we could would, we could discuss. I mean, everybody loves ACH analysis of competing <laughs> hypotheses, but that's for multi-int analysis and for very uh, very uh, highly analytic OSINT reports where you really want to make sure that that uh, your hypotheses are are in fact undergirded by the type the, the evidence that you that you are that you are positing and you know have do you have any assumptions that have gone into into those hypotheses yeah, and it's every, it's about testing those hypotheses too, right? In terms of yeah. really trying to trying to dig into your evidence and figure out, okay, well, what does it really tell me about each of these hypotheses? Exactly. Uh, so I would I would encourage analysts to not be, as you said, not to be so concerned with using two to three sats for each part of the life cycle. 
it's what makes what makes sense. And again, go back, go back to your to your analytic checklist. Uh, and and brainstorming is really for me working working with analysts and their managers is really one of the most important um, parts of the process. And having a and having a conceptualization process, sort of you know, I've done my analytic, I've done my research design. Let me do a pre-mortem, for example. Why wait for the surprise for the bad thing to happen and you have to do a post-mortem? Why don't you, and again, you need time to do this. So we'll have to come back to talking yeah. about the timeliness. How, how can you do all of this when you have a one-day deadline? Yeah. That's a, so we're, we're talking in the perfect world where the analyst has enough lead time to be able to work off of this, this checklist how am I going to challenge myself with respect to sourcing and assumptions and my judgment? How do I put it all together and give my editor? I think that's I really useful though. I think I, I've always sort of emphasized this in the training that we do that often in training courses, we're able to sort of give people the ideal, you know, world scenario. Okay. You know, this is what you would do at this stage. And, you know, this is a technique you might want to apply here. Um, and the question that often comes back is, okay, what if I don't have the time to do that? But I think if people are trained in and drilled in how to use those techniques, then it makes it easier to improvise when you are short of time, but to still have in mind those principles. And especially I think what's great about the, the, the SATs is that they help analysts when maybe you're looking at a mass of information and you're just not sure how to make sense of it. You're not sure where to start. You're not sure how to um, check that you haven't missed anything, you know, and, and you want to check, test your assumptions, your hypotheses, et cetera. Um, and like you said, you know, ACH is a popular a popular technique and one that we've we've talked about a lot in our training over the years. Um, and it, it did feature on a previous podcast episode when we talked to Dr. Martha Whitesmith, and um, yes. some of her research I think showed that it's it's maybe not been as useful as as some people would expect as a technique when it's been employed. And I've, I do wonder whether some of that is perhaps down to, like you said, it, it being useful in certain circumstances and people maybe trying to apply it to circumstances where it's not the right technique to use and so to your point originally about how perhaps people do latch onto the techniques a little bit too much and um, in terms of uh, sort of thinking that they've got to work through them rather than selecting the one that might be most appropriate to that situation. Terry this all goes back to planning 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 mm. knowing first when, when the task comes in what is my response time? What is the, you know, what is what is it the customer wants? And if if, mm -hmm. if, the, if the analysis isn't clear as to what we call in the intel world, what is my key intelligence question? What's well, not always it's it, it's not always evident. It, it, it may not always be sufficiently articulated. Um, and 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 quick note on that. At, unfortunately, at times it, the question may not the task may is not sufficiently articulated because the client uh, is there might be an attempt to receive a, 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 an answer, if you will, that is more palatable to what that customer wants, that, is, that, is not, that the end result is not the objective analysis that you should be producing, if that makes any sense. Yeah, so you mean it's more about the process without trying to predict the outcome? Yes, but also don't let the customer predict your analytic outcome, what your analytic judgment is. Mm, yeah, so very important. clarity and planning from the outset, from when that task comes in, in, in my experience, is, is indispensable. If you don't have mm. that, 
then the boundaries of credibility and integrity sort of um, uh, melt away. And you're playing, you know, the analyst ends up playing in, in a dangerous land because they don't have anything to which to anchor themselves. And again, this is where the standards come in and I believe are, are, are very critical to, to, to the OSINT life cycle. So again, just planning, you know, thinking about what from that test and, and planning what that means, which is now I know what I, I, I know I need to have an answer and it's around this, it's either an update, it's a new, it's, it's, it's a new analytic product that they want me to, to, to write, but what does it mean by new analytic product? Uh, and, and structure, structure, structure. I'm so glad to hear you emphasize two things in particular, one planning and two structure. And I'm really glad to hear you say those words because I think everyone I've trained over the years will have probably grown tired of me repeatedly <laughs> emphasizing those points. So it's nice that to hear someone else validating that as well. But I wanted to sort of maybe bring you back to the, the tradecraft standards and ask, you mentioned, you know, the, the first few, are there any others in particular that you would pick out that you think are most relevant to OSINT? And this takes us to, to the craft of writing and as you know, in the, in, in the Intel world, we, we use the inverted pyramid, which is you start with the most important claim, what it is, what, what the main message is, your, 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 the what, if you will, and then you follow on with what the implication of that is, the so what. Otherwise, you're, you're moved into the academic world and in terms of what it is that your client needs to know. And so the two, the two other standards that we didn't discuss that I'll very briefly mention that come together, which is standard three, which is how to distinguish between your reporting, in other words, your evidence, your assumptions, and your analysis. So the, the analyst needs to be very clear as to if he, if he or she has any assumptions, they need to identify those in the analytic piece. And again, this, this is not required or even needed for descriptive analysis. We're talking about analytic products that are evaluative in nature where you're, you're discussing the why of something and you're beginning to forecast. Uh, so you might have assumptions about the reporting and about the sourcing that you need to, you need to make you, you need to make known. Uh, you may also have assumptions about a country's or or an actor, either country or an actual individual, of their behavior based on past reporting. So again, it is about reporting, but you can make an assumption about a behavior because you've documented in the past. So it's very important that the analysts not be confused. Uh, between what an assumption is and, and what a piece of evidence is or what a judgment is. They have to have that clarity of thought as to what they're writing. Otherwise, the main point is completely lost on the client and the potential for, for misleading uh, a, a client to take action on something can, can be significant. So how do we deal with that? Well, standard six is logical argumentation. And this is really just simply about how, do, how does the analyst tell his or her storyline? And, and the importance of this is just, um, you're just reducing everything that you know into bite-sized, rational, logical comments. And that there should be this flow of logic between what you said is your main argument, here's the what is, this is the most important thing you need to know. If you walk away from this two-pager, this is what you need to know. But you also need to know what the implications of this what are, the so what, because this is what's going to enable the company to pivot, to do something one way or the other. And then what should follow from that is 
if the analyst, if, you, if they need to add context to what the situation is that they're describing. And what follows is the evidence. So in the IC, we use bullets uh, mm -hmm. that, that follow from this um, introductory, if you will, paragraph, which is always written in topic sentences. And sorry to, to, to go sort of nerdy on your audience, but topic sentences are, 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 are structured in such a way so that there's no ambiguity in, in what, your, what your main claim is. And it tells you it's active voice. So again, the fundamentals of writing, which I know you train in. So you can see how ICD-203 and ICD-206 are, are closely or intimately integrated with, with the fundamentals of writing and critical thinking. So I would, I would also encourage the audience to, to look at those two standards as well and to understand how they all begin to fit together. The logical argumentation enables you to get to standard five, stepping back, which is the customer relevance. And I'll end on that, which is how, how credible and, and, and useful is, your, is that product to your client? If there's, if it's not clear what your message is, if it's not clear that you, if you don't have any evidence that is supporting your main judgment and the client walks away from the saying, this doesn't make any sense to me, what am I supposed to do with this? In my world, you kind of, you failed. Yeah, that's and so important. Yeah, indeed. Well, I, I think that, that comes back to, I think what you were saying before about planning in terms of, I think it's really worth analysts conceptualizing at the outset what is going to be the relevance of this to my customer as I sort of dig through it without, I think without, and this is the de delicate balance, I suppose, without biasing then how they judge their information, because they shouldn't just judge it based on what they think the customer wants to hear. Um, you know, that's a really important thing. And I think it touches on what you mentioned right at the beginning of the, the, the podcast, which was around politicization and, you know, making sure that we're not just uh, trying to, Sort of give the customer what they want to hear but actually just giving them a very objective uh, piece of analysis um, as objective as we can make it and the the point you made about logical argumentation i think is is so vital because not not only for analysts i think to be able to express their analysis but also once they understand how to do that and they apply more those standards to their own work i think it helps them also understand the information as well it helps them make sense of it it's, it's really useful in that way um, to be uh, also to gather that experience, whether it's through training or on the job um, of, of really being quite diligent in explaining the logical argumentation. You, you are alluding to something that is really critical. It's not just about the life cycle. It's about establishing and building an analytic culture yeah. in, in an analytic self. And that to me is really, I'm a people person. I, I love working with, 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 with analysts, uh, new, new, newly minted analysts, mid-level. Uh, I, I taught at my grad school, uh, the introduction to, into intelligence analysis and how bright this generation is. And especially in the OSINT world, where if you think about what relevancy, the relevancy of, of information means and how they think about it. Relevancy is basically the time frame, right? What used to be 
information that might be valid for six months or a year nowadays might be its relevancy might be a few hours. And yeah. all of the all of these analysts inspire me to think about if we could take this 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 constellation of smart minds in an organization and help them grow because we want them to stay with us, but also it's we're building an analytic culture. So it's going to be unique to the organization, but it's there for a reason, which helps everybody enjoy what they're doing and that they're producing the highest quality um, analysis that they can. And you take pride in that ultimately. That's such an important point. And I, I, you've hit on so many things right at the end there, which are some of my favorite subjects to talk about and to, and to really focus on, which is around building successful teams, building that high performance culture, building that culture around doing intelligence work well and making the best of the people that you have in the team in terms of, like you said, there are so many bright, intelligent people, especially um, who I speak to now, you know, not just, not just within my organization, but within other organizations we work with. And I think there's, there's so much potential for them to grow. And um, it's all about that culture aspect with, that you, you hit upon, which is, is, as I said, one of my favorite subjects and uh, something that I could easily, easily drag you into another um, conversation, which would last hours. So um, before I do, I should probably, uh, we should probably draw it to a close here. But I wanted to say thank you, Catherine. This has been a really, really interesting discussion. And, you know, you mentioned a few times that this is really um, getting quite, we're getting a little bit geeky in, in some aspects of it. But I think that's hopefully what our audience wants as well because i'm sure when, when i have discussions with others it's definitely where we we end up going into that sort of level of detail and thank you so much for all of your thoughts and uh, insight into the the work that you do and, and what you've been doing over your the course of your career i i thoroughly enjoyed this and this has been as i said such a such a tremendous experience to to talk with you and your audience thank but, you so much terry and, and james for, for hosting me yeah no it's been a real pleasure thank you